Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that you have given to us your very word, that we might be able to behold the truth of salvation found only in Jesus Christ. And Lord, let us thirst for your word. Lord, as a newborn thirsts for pure spiritual milk, Lord, let us thirst for your word and your spirit that we may grow up into salvation. Help us, Lord, to be able to grow in wisdom, not of the world, but of your word. Help us to be able to grow not in, um, in our own self, but in our strength found in Christ. Point us to the gospel, lead us to the cross, bring us to our knees that we might give you all glory, praise, and honor, which is due your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, Thus in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Eutica and Syndike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The grass withers. Flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We come now to a, a portion of Scripture, as one commentator referred to this, as a, as it seems like a long to-do list that a parent leaves their child before going out of town for some time. Remember to water the plants, to feed the dog, to take the trash out. And this list goes on and on and on. And as Paul finishes up his, his letter to the Philippians, he, he closes, just as he closes many other books and letters, with applications of what the people are to do. And they often seem like a long list as we come to the end of Romans, as he goes through in Romans 12, and what that looks like to live as a living sacrifice. And this is how we often read them. We read them somewhat disconnected from the whole points that Paul has tried to make previously. We merely think that they're a list of long things that Christians should do. Now this is good in one, on one hand and unhelpful in another. It's good as we read them as a list of things that Christians should do, for they are commands. as we're not seeking to be able to find salvation, but as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's good to be able to take these things, to apply them to your life, to be able to carry them out. 
We would even argue that to some extent, even if someone who doesn't believe in God or denies God's existence seeks to be able to come and apply the biblical principles that are found in God's word through his moral law or through commandments, we would say that his life would be going better. It's a lot better if you love one another than to be able to hate one another. Now we see these temporal benefits maybe in his lifetime, but these what we some people call good works, they're not good works. They're, they're not done out of a true sense of emotion. They're not going to be able to carry out the, the true worship of God. They're unable to be able to save him. So it's good to be able to read these lists as a list of things that God commands us to do. In this case, the list is quite short. To be able to rejoice, to be reasonable to everyone, don't be anxious. Even if we were to simply read through that list and to apply them to our life, that would be a good thing for us to do. Or even to be able to understand that we are unable to do them on our own and to be able to ask God to be able to help us to be able to do them. But there's one also aspect that is unhelpful when we come to lists like this, or even to some extent harmful when we come. And that is if we just merely see them as some list to be able to accomplish, then we'll find at some point then there is an impossibility for us to be able to do them. That we find base this on simply on practice and not on principle. This is not merely Paul giving a list of do's and don'ts, but he also gives us a foundation behind what he says. The truth of the matter is that the wise man and the foolish man are completely the same. What they do is completely the same. They both build houses. We're not told any difference about what the wise man or the foolish man builds. They still build the same house. They can still do the same things. But doing the same thing on a different foundation is a completely different outcome. The difference is the foundation in which they build the house. So you could read this, and it could be merely a simple sermon. Rejoice always. Be gentle to everyone. Do not be anxious. Be at peace. Simple. Write them down. Go and do them. End of sermon. But if you merely see it in that light, you will find that eventually your joy will end. Your gentleness will wither. Your anxiety grows. Your peace ceases. Mainly because maybe you get another to-do list in which you've got to try and apply them to your lives. Maybe because of our sin that lies within us. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is then be able to carry them in our own strength. Paul doesn't merely just say, do this because I tell you. Paul gives the foundation in which and why we are to be able to carry out those commands, those actions. So tonight, I want to be able to try and understand what Paul is telling us to do, but more importantly, why. To help us understand the principle behind the action, not merely the action itself. The first one we see is 
We have a reason to rejoice every day. We have a reason to rejoice every day. If we read this verse merely as we just need to learn how to smile more, that you always need to be happy, that we never can be sad, never have sorrow, we will have an impossibility of being able to do this. Not only us, I mean Paul had the impossibility of doing this. Paul then is a hypocrite. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So here Paul is saying rejoice always. On the other side, he says there's such thing as godly grief. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So on one hand, he's saying that he's to rejoice, to smile in all certain situations and times, but yet he, he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says that he's filled with grief and anguish. He's, he's got tears in his eyes. Or even just prior in the book in Philippians, chapter 3, he says that I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So if you read this passage merely that we're never to cry, never to have tears, never to have sorrow, we're always to be happy, always to be smiling, always to be rejoicing, we miss a part of what he says. Even Jesus did not rejoice always. The author of Hebrews explains in chapter 5 that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In Luke chapter 19, as he draws near to the city, he sees the city, he weeps over it. At the tomb of Lazarus in John 11, he weeps. This is not the classic song in which Paul is saying, don't worry, be happy. Why? Not merely because Paul says so. We're not quite there yet. There's tears and sorrows. The promise found in the end of the book, in Revelation, says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall be there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. To be able to live and think that we're in this reality here is false. We have not yet made it. So Paul is not commanding us to have the emotion of joy. He's commanding us to have the posture of joy. That weeping may tarry for the night, as the psalmist writes. But joy comes in the morning. How can we know this? Many passages we can turn to to think about this, but I think the testimony is actually found in this letter as we ponder why and where Paul writes this letter from. That here, Paul is writing this letter from a cell. 
a prison cell, stuck behind bars, and yet he speaks of rejoicing and rejoicing every day. Rejoicing always. We'll see this later in the book of Philippians, but it's not the circumstance that we find ourselves in. It shouldn't make us change our hope and our foundation in which we have our hope. You think of even Paul as he goes into Philippi for that first time as they start their church plant of First Presbyterian Church in Philippi. And in Acts chapter 16, they're imprisoned for proclaiming the gospel. And here they are in the prison cell, Fastened with feet in the feet in the stalks, and at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here again, Paul and Silas sitting in a prison cell, and their feet in stalks. And what are they doing? They're praying and singing. Even in a prison cell, they had a reason to rejoice, a reason to sing. Why? It's not the place that you find yourself in. It's the place where you're going that you have joy and hope for. It's not hope in what we have, it's hope in where we're going and what we own in Christ. It's hope in what we do not have. The assurance of things not yet seen we do not rejoice because of our emotions, our feelings, because they will always change. It's not our circumstance or not our wealth in which we rejoice. We rejoice in Christ, in the Lord. As he says there in verse 4, it's not merely rejoice always. It's rejoice in the Lord every single day. It doesn't matter what circumstance or situation you find yourself in, you are still the Lord's. Your comfort in life and death is not that you are your own. Your comfort is that you are Christ's. doesn't matter if you're in a prison cell or a palace. You have a reason to rejoice. As Habakkuk finishes with his fabulous psalm in Habakkuk chapter 3, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the sails. Nothing. The bank account is empty. There is nothing growing to be able to produce any food. Yet, Habakkuk writes, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Although Habakkuk is able to be able to look out at the, the, the figless vines, no blossoms, no fruit, he rejoices in the Lord because God is his salvation. Actually, often in our life, it's in the darkest of times we see the brightest of hope. We long for heaven more. 
we're often filled with hope when we see what is lacking on this side of heaven. When we see our sin and our misery, we long for that day when our sin is no more. When our tears are finally wiped away, our sorrow is buried. Actually, it's the darkest of days that show us the brightest of eternities. It doesn't matter what situation we find ourselves in, we always have a reason to rejoice. Here's 22, very quickly. We have salvation through Christ. God's forever faithfulness, Christ's gift of eternal life, God's boundless love, God's given grace, God's mighty mercy, His helpful Holy Spirit, Christ's conquering sin, the promise of God's presence, God's steadfast faithfulness, Christ's church with the fellowship of other believers, our pleas and our prayers that are heard and answered, our peace beyond understanding, our bold confidence to be able to draw near to the throne of grace, God's sovereignty and providence over all things, God's gift of his word providing guidance, wisdom, and comfort, his transformation power of the gospel, God's promises filled and his promises in the future, his spiritual gifts he has given his church in which he builds up the body of Christ. He's preparing us for that eternal weight of glory. Our temporary body and our trials in which we face the promise that this will come to an end. These are not based on where we find ourselves today or tomorrow. They do not change depending on what we eat for breakfast, where we are in our lives. That all of these things, sorrow may come and go. Grief are like waves on a seashore. But the God in which we rejoice is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So too are His promises. We rejoice not in the circumstance, we rejoice in Christ. In the Lord. The second thing that we see is gentleness to be known to everyone. We have a God who is near. See this in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now again, we see this and we see the command to be well-reasoned with everyone. Do and do likewise. Now we miss the point. And what does this actually mean? This word has a variety of translations, depending on the version, translation you have before you. Reasonableness in the ESV, gentleness in the NIV, the New King James, moderation in the King James, the gentle spirit in the New American Standard Bible in 1995, forbearing spirit in the New American Standard Bible in 77. Consider it in others, gracious forbearance. You can go and look at all the commentaries and they seek to be able to unpack what this Greek word means. I think the, the BDAG, which is the dictionary of the Greek words, explains this word very well. And you can understand then, under, why you understand the base root of this word, how it's translated in so many different ways. Here's what BDAG says. Not insisting on right of the letter, of the law or custom yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, and tolerant. 
Now we can see this is not some random commandment here. Paul is sitting there. Oh, let me throw in this one. This reasonableness, this, this gentleness. This is what Paul has been arguing and, and describing and telling the church in Philippi all along. Have this mind amongst yourself. As he says in chapter 2, let each of you not look to your own interest, but at the interest of others, having this mind which is found in Christ Jesus. But again, it's not merely that we're to be gentle with others. We have a reason given by Paul why this principle is at hand. Specifically, the Lord is at hand. There are two ways to be able to read this. The first is that Christ is coming. The Lord is at hand. He's coming in the future. Therefore, we should be doing it today. Or the second understanding is Christ is is near. Christ is here. Therefore, we should be doing them today. Both help look at this in two different ways, but in the same, still understanding this doesn't mean that it doesn't matter which way it is, but. What we're saying is that we have Christ. Or why does this matter? Even though I might be wronged, Christ is coming. Both of these help us understand how and why we can be reasonable to others. One is that Christ is near to me, that Christ has shown this humility to me, that I can do so to others. Or Christ is coming, that he will judge in that last day the living and the dead. This can help us as we are having conflict as that they're having in the church in Philippi. These two reminders help us to understand the brevity of this world, the hope that we have in Christ and His return. The third that we have in this passage is request to be given in everything. We have a God who is in control. Paul writes in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known to God. Again, if we merely read this commandment just saying, stop being anxious. Stop feeling that feeling. But understand here, Paul is giving a command, but also a principle behind that command. Mentioned Jesus' words this morning in our sermon this morning that here the command is, is merely do not fear, but there's, God is going to fight for you. And Jesus, so too, when he said that when we are feeling anxious, Jesus just didn't say, do not be anxious about tomorrow. He gave us a reason why we are not to be anxious about tomorrow. And he told us to be able to look at the sparrow, the sparrow that God feeds. He told us to be able to look at the flowers, the flowers which God has placed in the fields, which are filled with glory. And that draws us to be able to think about God, the Father who looks after us. Or Paul's argument at the end of Romans 8. Where he says, and he speaks about nothing separating us from the love of God. And Paul's argument is that nothing will separate us from the love of God because God sent his son to be able to die for you. Why would God send his son to be able to die for you and then just say, oh, I'm out? 
No, you're too difficult. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. And Paul's argument here is similar but slightly different. Don't be anxious about anything. Why should we not be anxious about anything? Because he says we have a God in control and we have a God in which we can go to and pray. We can take everything to the Lord in prayer. We have the boldness and the confidence to be able to draw near to that throne of grace, to be able to pray to the Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. A God who saves, a God who delivers, a God who answers prayer. Again, it's not saying that there's no such thing as anxiety. But anxiety in the the heart of a believer drives them to God in prayer, drives them to lay their supplications and requests and make them known to Him. They're taking them to the Lord. And once they're in the Lord's hand, we have no reason to be anxious, for the Lord has it. Famous hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. That we have this privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. That we have this endless pain to bear, all because we do not need to carry every, we can carry everything to God in prayer. We should never be discouraged because we can take it to the Lord in prayer. We have a person we can share our sorrows with. That Jesus knows our every weakness. We can take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we heat, weak and heavy laden, cumbered by the load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. And so too Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything because we have a God who is all-powerful, almighty, that listens to our prayers. We find refuge in him. We find solace in him final thing that we see in this passage is the peace of God in every place. The peace of God in every place. We have a Christ who guards. It says this in verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, this is not merely just a command to be able to have peace, to be peaceful. Our peace is given and found in God. As we see in verse 9, as we'll look at next time, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That only a Christian can have true peace. Again, Paul in prison, writing about peace. A letter dealing with conflict inside and outside the church, and here he has peace. The Christian peace is something that is somewhat unexplainable. Why can we and how do we live in a world which is hostile to us and yet still have peace? 
And at some point, the Christian needs to be able to say, I don't quite know. Jesus tells his disciples as he's meeting with them before he prays the high priestly prayer, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And he tells them these things as he says in verse 25. He tells them while he is still with them. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world do, gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Continues in chapter 16, And I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Here, here Jesus is saying, here, I'm going to give you peace. You're going to live in a world with tribulations and trials and worries and woes and all these things that are upon you, and yet in that circumstance you will have peace because I am with you. As he appears to them after his resurrection, he says, peace be with you. Jesus tells him again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I, uh, even so I am sending you. One commentator explains that this background defines for us what Paul means by peace with God. Not an inner sense of well-being or feeling at peace. but the outward situation in a relationship of peace with God. That again, it doesn't matter what trial or situation or what, wherever we find ourselves in, we have peace with God. Again, these are commands not found in merely doing these things, but shifting our gaze unto Christ as the Puritans often would say, the antidote is Christ. We can find many different troubles and things that we go through in this life, but always it should drive us to Christ. You go to the doctor, the Puritan doctor, and they say, well, I've got a sore knee. Well, you need this medicine, Christ. Well, I have a sore head. Well, Christ. And so too, it doesn't matter our sins and our worries, our woes and our circumstances, no matter what it is. Sins abounding from within, tribulations coming from without, and always our prescription is go unto Christ, look unto the gospel. The Paul says we have a reason to rejoice because Christ is ours. We're to let our gentleness to be known because Christ is near. We have anxiousness to be given in prayer because Christ hears. We have the peace of God because Christ guards. Nothing in our hands we bring, only to Christ, not the cross, we cling. I'm finished with a quote by Jonathan Edwards who says, The peace which believers enjoy 
is of participation of the peace which their glorious master, Lord and Master enjo- himself enjoys. By virtue of the same blood by which Christ himself has entered into rest, it is a participation of the same justification. For believers are justified with Christ, as he was justified when he rose from the dead and as he was made free from our guilt. So believers are justified in him and through him as being accepted of God in the same righteousness. It is a favor of the same God, the Heavenly Father, that they enjoy peace. We go unto Christ in our union with Christ and we share all of these great and glorious things. That Christ is ours, Christ is near, that Christ hears and Christ guards. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that as we read through your word that we do not find a list of do's and don'ts in which we find our salvation or try and find solutions to our problems, but they all point us to Christ. Help us, Lord, to be able to cling to Christ. Help us to be able to see the great and glorious truths which are found in these very scriptures. Lord, help us to be able to find our comfort, not in life in life or death, that we are not our own, that Christ is ours, that Christ is near to us. Lord, that Christ is there interceding for us in heaven, that Christ is able to be able to uh, present us blameless in that last day before God our Father. Lord, help us to be able to see this. Help us to be able to cling to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you please stand and sing with me hymn number 100, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, hymn number 100. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.